to 1 Corinthians in your New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which is page 807 and 806 in your church Bibles. In just a second or two, we're going to begin reading and we're, we're going to work through the first eight verses, although I'll just read the first four verses. And as you're turning there, if you have a question about what we have said, sung, or read this morning or about Jesus Christ when we're through, I'd be happy to try to answer those questions for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 there. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Amen. Bless, may God bless the reading of his word, and let's bow together for just a brief prayer. May, may the love of Jesus fill us as the waters fill the sea, Christ-exalting, self-abasing. This is victory to me. So, Father, we would ask that you would please Take hold of this whole situation for your glory. All eyes on Jesus, we pray in his word. Amen. <clears throat> you are such a baby. You're such a baby. Now, that is an indictment I suspect no grown-up would ever want to hear from anybody. So whether it's husband to wife, wife to husband, parent to teen, teen to parent, friend to friend, no one likes to hear that they are such a baby. Babies wouldn't mind it. You say that to them and they would coo and drool, smile, probably a few other things, but it's all cute. That's what makes babies so wonderful. And a baby who, who looks like a baby and behaves like a baby is wonderful. However, an adult who behaves like a baby, that is horrible and it's trouble for them and it's certainly trouble for everyone around them. You are such a baby. I mean, who wants to hear that? But what if it's true? Because by and large, what God's man, the Apostle Paul, who was sent to that church by Jesus Christ, was saying to the Corinthian Christians is that they were babies. You are such babies. You're still in your diapers. Your baby diapers, that is. Now, it should not have been this way. It should not have been this way because this church was filled with evidences of God's grace all around them. The church was well equipped. If your Bible is open, you can look at chapter 1, verse 7, and you can see where Paul says, you do not lack any spiritual gift. Question, who gives spiritual gifts? Answer, the Holy Spirit gives these gifts as he determines. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, and as Christ apportions, Ephesians 4, 7. And the Son and the Spirit determined to be generous. And that is, of course, the nature of the Godhead with good things. Super abundant generosity. So they lacked nothing in the realm of giftedness. They were well equipped. Also, they were very well taught. At least from the teacher's side. Because there's always two sides of learning. Isn't this true? You need a willing, able listener. And you need a willing, able teacher. They had willing and able teachers. The church was well taught for a year and a half by the Apostle Paul. Hard to do better than him. For a year and a half, he taught them Christ and him crucified. Then they had Apollos for almost two years. Apollos was fully trained. He was intellectually a, 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 a jaggernaut. He preached to them, and you can read in Acts 18, in the beginning of verse 19, the message that Apollos was preaching was in harmony completely with the message that Paul was preaching, Jesus Christ and him crucified. So they were well equipped. 
and they were well taught, but they were underdeveloped. They were stunted in their spirituality. They were, as we will discover, the equivalent of babies, or as Paul says, worldly. And they had no one to blame except themselves. Healthy things grow. We expect this. Healthy things in healthy settings with healthy nurturing over a good amount of time will grow. But the Christians in Corinth were not growing. They were underdeveloped. They were stunted. And it was all on them. But in their self-assurance, they couldn't see it. C.K. Barrett once said that mere lapse in time does not grow up anyone in Christ. And Christian growth doesn't come by osmosis, by just showing up. Longevity has never ever been the automatic means of maturity. So you and I come in here week by week, year by year, we thank God for that privilege, but only to listen to words, if that's the only thing James says in chapter 1 in the New Testament, if that is it, then we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves until we actually put those words into practice. And a baby who, who looks like a baby and behaves like a baby, that is wonderful. However, an adult who behaves like a baby and thinks like a baby, that is horrible and it's trouble for them and it's trouble for everyone around them. And such was the case in Corinth. And of course, this problem is not unique to Corinth. And frankly, in today's world, it would be a huge surprise if there was nothing of the Corinthian spirit in the, in the church of Jesus Christ. Because as long as the church of Jesus Christ has existed, this has always been a vice that she struggles with. And that takes us to our first point. Number one, the problem they needed to face. And the problem they needed to face is not, in fact, immediate here. It's actually addressed in the final sentence of the second verse. Because in the first verse, in the beginning of the second, Paul is simply addressing the condition of these Corinthians upon his arrival. So Paul's a realist here, right? Verse 1, when I spoke to you. Do you see that? Not when I wrote to you. When I spoke, when I addressed you in the NIV. In other words, when I arrived on the scene and preached Jesus Christ crucified to you and God's grace saved you and you placed your faith in Christ and you became a new creation, no longer under condemnation, which is why he calls them brothers. Adelphos is the word, word literally because we're from the same womb. We're in Christ, end of verse 1. So Paul says, I spoke to you not as spiritual, but rather as worldly, merely infants, but yet in Christ. You're Christians. And what you were in the beginning is what you were. You're, you're babies. I mean, that's understandable. God made you alive. You're born again. In the beginning, you're babies. But the measure of your progress in the early days then was what was to be expected. And I hope we understand this. Our flesh, the world, and the devil are the enemies of God's grace, the Bible teaches, in our sanctification. And, and they always come, especially in those early days, as bigger and brighter and more fulfilling and appealing than the narrow road of Christian truth and thinking. And it takes God's grace. And it takes time to become more like Jesus Christ and to believe that, yes, it is actually better to give than to receive. And yes, it is better to value others as more important than ourselves. And yes, it takes time to believe that dying to myself is really living with joy and to believe that the thrills of life leave our souls unsatisfied and it takes time to begin to bless God for our crosses and our losses and our pains for the honor of His name. So spiritual babies need time so that they can say yes 
to what is right and no to what is wrong in a firmer and stronger Christ-exalting clip. Therefore, everyone in our Christian beginnings, we would tend to lose battles that in time, as we mature, we will win. So Paul's just being plain. When I arrived and spoke to you, you became in Christ, but worldly infants still. You were crawling and you were cooing and you were being nursed. Verse 2, you weren't ready for solid food. And so when we read these opening verses, we should not be stunned by this. There is absolutely no condemnation from Paul in these opening verses. Not yet. I mean, just, just think with me for a second. Have you ever seen an infant eating a medium rare steak? Right? Not, not the infants that you see on the National Enquirer, right? Who knows where they find those babies? They have the 80-pound baby and the 110-pound baby. And the thing is cute, but it's so huge. But anyway, okay, it's, hopefully it's not real. <laughs> Who knows? Babies don't eat meat. Infants do not have the teeth nor the stomach for that. And it would be, it would be cruelty to try to force that down. Babies need milk. They need food already digested. By a mom or a cow or a goat. That's what milk is, by the way, pre-digested food. And it's the same for spiritual babies. Verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food. You were not ready for it. Now, now listen carefully. This is not Paul saying, I taught you guys another message. No, the difference between milk and solid food is depth and detail. So this is not new doctrine, but more depth in the same old doctrine. So think of it this way. A God is love versus the doctrine of propitiation. And that's what Paul was saying. Therefore, they are uncondemned by their God, but naturally, early on, immature. Okay, you with me? No problem yet. They're Christians, and they're be, you know, they, Paul takes them down a very quick trip down memory lane. Get out the photo album. Oh, look how cute you were in your diapers. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, I photo app open. Oh, I'm going to send that to everyone in the world. Look how cute they are in their diapers. But then suddenly, the trip is over. And the problem you need to face comes straight on from Paul. Verse 2b, you are still not ready. So Paul is saying, why in the world are you still in your onesies? Why in the world are you still holding a milky bottle in your mouth? Holy cow, you're in your jammies and you're holding Mr. Squishy. That is the problem that they face. They should be ready for meat, but they're not ready for meat. They should be grown up in pants, but they're walking around in diapers. <laughs> oh, isn't that a horrible picture to see that as a, in a grown-up? But anyway, they should eat with a knife and fork, but they're still nursing. So, so the problem is that though a good measure of time has gone on for at least four years, and although they viewed themselves as very spiritual, in fact, spiritual elite, they can't see it. There are none so blind that will not see. So then Paul has to drop this bomb on them and tells them an actual fact. You are no more than little baby spiritual infants. Now think, how would you like to hear that? How would you like to hear that you are a, a baby? So again, we have to face the fact from the pages of the Bible. You and I may be 20 years in Christ, but may live and behave as if we're only 20 months in Christ. Question, how would one know that? Answer, look at your Bibles. Verse 3, you are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? In other words, spiritless men? You're not being what you've been given. 
Because what Paul expected was obviously growth, a moving on, a growing up. God's grace was there. It was abounding. The teaching was there, and they they should have been nurtured by it. They were not enjoying their privileges. They were not taking their Bible lessons to heart, not to action. Hence, the severely stunted growth. So I bet if you, as you look at verse 3, I bet if you, if you took a pencil and you were going to underline three of the most important words, I bet the words would be worldly, jealousy, and quarreling. Those were my words, worldly, jealousy, and quarreling. So let's take a moment to learn what those words mean. So the word worldly is the Greek word sarx. It means fleshy, as in fallen flesh, spiritless, as in the Holy Spirit. This is the Christian's old nature that once ruled them. In other words, this is the carnality. This is when one is ruled by the senses and feeling the stuff of skin and longings without any meaningful reference to Christ and his commands. In essence, being worldly or carnal is when the Christian chooses to be ruled by their selfish, self-indulgent, sinful nature. A sinful nature that Christ has already secured victory over. And whenever an individual seeks to please themselves rather than please God, they sow to the flesh and they inevitably stunt their growth. Inevitably, they stunt their growth. So it's not that the Corinthian Christians had no signs of life. It just seemed that they were content with awfully few signs of life. That's our first word. The second word then is jealousy. It's a horrible word. The word jealousy in the Greek is zealos. We get our word zeal from it. In verse 3, this word means a burning, boiling spirit deeply committed to the self. Again, a burning, boiling spirit deeply committed to the self. And that makes sense as you think about the word jealousy. And for those of us who fall and pray to it, that is exactly what jealousy is. We have a burning, boiling spirit deeply committed to ourselves. Myself comes first, no reference to God. So someone has something we want. Looks, body, brains, house, car, job, status. Someone has someone we want. Girl, guy, spouse. Or someone has an opportunity we wish we had. And immediately we are burning and boiling with zeal for ourselves. And if we could just rip it away from them and keep it for ourselves, we would. That's jealousy. Listen to your Bible. Proverbs 6.34 For jealousy makes a man furious. And he will not spare when he takes revenge. James chapter 3, 14, 15, and 16. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there you will find disorder. And every vile practice. And the byproduct of jealousy, beyond emptiness of heart, is stunted growth, underdeveloped, spiritual deformity, perpetually, if you would, in your twos. Remember the terrible twos? Those of us were parents, the kids would walk around the house, like my daughter Lindsay, uh, did did mine, they'd point to everything, did did mine, the did did mine, the kitchen, did did mine, and she walks around the whole house, did did mine, did did mine, yes, it's all yours, Lindsay, we'll sign it over you tomorrow, we'll get a lawyer in here, and it'll be taken care of, just please stop saying, did did mine. A jealous person deals with that, and that was the case to the Christian's In Corinth, they needed to learn that it wasn't all theirs. And that takes us to our third word, quarreling. And quarreling has the meaning of strife, 
dissension, a friction, contention, ugly, competitive rivalry. Always angry, unable to embrace, embrace the good and, and filter out the bad. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension and discord. And so what I want you to see is that all three words, in essence, brings the personal self and to the highest position. And whenever that happens, you inevitably dethrone God from his highest place. So you dethrone God and you put others in a place where they do not belong. So if you look at the words in verse 3 and ask, how does God define worldliness? Right here. He's not saying anything about the size of their chariot. And he's not saying anything about the square footage of their homes. But what he is saying is this. Where there is jealousy. A burning, boiling commitment to the self. With no reference to God and no reference to others. When there is quarreling. A willingness to go to battle for the self. Causing strife and dissension and contention and friction. And division. That is worldliness. And that kind of worldliness has no business in the body of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul would say. I have no problem. Division in Christ? Are you crazy? David Pryor, he has a commentary which I use. And he wrote this about verse 3. Such behavior is infantile, says Paul. We can almost hear him mentally screaming, grow up, stop behaving like babies. This is in fact how young children behave when they shout, I want that toy, that present, or they stomp their feet and say, I'm not going to play with you. You're not my special friend anymore. And so what Paul says is that is what unspiritual people do. Uh, baby men, verse 1, look at your Bible. Ordinary men, verse 3. Mere men, verse 4. In other words, men behaving badly are babies behaving as if they have not the Spirit of God within them. And loved ones, please listen carefully. Christ suffered and died not so that we would be just the same as the world, but that there would be a marked difference in us because of Jesus Christ in this world. For the way of the world is approaching everything with the self first in line and first in mind. And that is not the way of our master. And Christians, aren't we glad the only time our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, the only time he ever said me first was at his suffering and death on the cross for our sins, for all our me first sins. Who will go, Hebrews 10, who will go and die for wicked humanity's sin? And Jesus says, here I am, me first. And because Jesus said, me first that time, that whole horrible occasion need never to be repeated again. Okay, that's our first point. The problem they needed to face, stunted growth. How come? Well, how they were boiling over with a tremendous commitment to themselves and the things of God's church. So it wasn't that they were really passionate about the truth. It was that they were really passionate about themselves. Hence the jealousy, the quarreling, and factions. And we deceive ourselves when we don't think that we could fall prey to those things. And the outcome to the church is what you would expect. Division, immaturity, disunity, immorality. Those are all the byproducts as we work through Corinthians of this church. No one's feeding on Christ. Growth is stunted. Vitality lost. Confusion, immorality everywhere. Theology flawed. So if you ask yourself the question, how does the church lose its vitality and its maturity? The answer here is very plain. They don't understand the nature of the church. 
They don't understand whose church it really is. They're behaving as babies. And that takes us to our second point then, the people that they needed to demote. Verse 4, do you see it there? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are, are, are they not mere men? Are you behaving like mere men? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is very clear. Of course you're acting like people without Jesus Christ when you take your eyes off Christ and put them on yourself or put them on someone else. Of course, that is always a fleshly act. So what Paul does then is he establishes the truth that the vision in the church always stems from a wrong preoccupation. First, when I have a preoccupation with myself. Then when I have a preoccupation with leaders. That's why he says what he says in verse 4. And so what he's trying to do is get everybody's eyes back on Christ. And so what Paul does here is says, you know what you need? You need to demote your leaders. That's what he's saying. They need to demote. Who are your leaders anyway? I mean, just think for a moment. Think. Everything anyone has in Christ is a gift. You don't earn gifts. You receive gifts. Because God gives gifts. And when people focus on the gifts rather than the giver, or the gifted rather than the giver, chaos inevitably follows. So that's why Paul writes in verse 5, what is Apollo, what is, Apollos, excuse me, what is Paul? Notice he didn't say who is Apollos or who is Paul. That would have been the more polite way to write. But he's not interested right now on politeness. He's trying to establish a principle. And listen carefully. He uses what in, in, in what is called in the Greek, the neuter. Okay, now think about that. This is an emphatic phrase. And basically what he's doing is he's taking the life out of these men. He's expressing contempt and disdain. How can you think that way? Who are these guys anyway? Who am I? Who is Apollos? Well, look at verse 5b. This is who we are. We're only waiters. We're, we're only stewards. Diaconai is the word. A, a deacon, deaconess, through whom you came to believe. I mean, all these guys did was just bring food to the table. They're just the pen in God's hand. What praises do the pen? They're like every other servant of God. They're just the instrument of salvation. They're not the source of salvation, and they're not the strength of salvation. And in this kind of celebrity Christian age... We need, to, we need to hear that. We need to really hear that. So I want you to think with me for a moment. There's a fellow named Chet Atkins. He, he's dead now. I'm, I'm sure some of you know who he is. He, he was a terrific guitar player. Holy cow. He was like one of, at least the top ten in, in, that, in that field. And if you've ever seen him uh, perform, you, you know what I was saying was true. But one of the things is that people just always go gaga when he's playing. And, and I remember a long time ago, I was watching his performance. And, and so the people were clapping loud and loud. And, and he left the stage, you know. And what do, usually happens in those things is you come back for an encore. Right? So, so think with me just for a minute. Have you ever seen like the steward or the doorman come back and just holding the instrument, just holding uh, Mr. Atkins' guitar and holding it up and people applauding? applauding? Well, probably not. Right? It'd be, it would be kind of weird if people were applauding for, for the guitar. Because just think for a moment. Let's say I had that guitar. And let's say I was at the Rife. And let's say I had a show. This is three things would happen immediately. No one would come. Or as soon as they came, they would leave. And then they'd probably throw things at me. Why is that the case? Well, the only reason why the instrument has any significance is because it was in the master's hand. 
And the reason why you and I have any significance whatsoever is because we're in the master's hand. And if we're not in the master's hand, then we shouldn't be in the master's business. That's why we do look for God's giftedness and anointing in the ones he has equipped. But only that we would do what the song says. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win. And here's the key. And may they forget the channel seeing only him. Seeing only God who took up the instrument and determined to use it in the first place. So we have to demote the instrument. That's what Paul is saying. That's why his argument was in chapter 2. All this worldly stuff and this, and this philosophy, get rid of it. Get rid of it. We don't, we don't need it. We demote the instrument. But listen carefully, we don't demean the instrument. So those of us who, who are servants of God, we should be loved and cherished. We just shouldn't be worshipped and adored. So don't go around saying, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.7. Do you see it there? Let me, can I just read it real quick? 1 Corinthians 3. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Don't go around saying, aha, Pastor Joe is nothing. Ha ha. 1 Corinthians 3.7 says, you aren't anything. Ha ha ha. You're nothing. Listen carefully. I do not need you to tell me I'm nothing because I struggle with that all the time. Okay? This is what the Bible says about people like me. 1 Thessalonians 5.13 Respect those who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in highest regard and love because of their work. Now get that. Because of their work. Not because of, of anything else, but their work. So that those who serve, and we all have this potential, we all have the potential to esteem one another. But within the framework of this context, the framework of God, at the end of the day, we are really nothing. That's Paul's point. We're nothing. So the farmer who plants and, and works the soil, he matters, but he just doesn't matter very much. And so when he goes to sleep at night, he knows that if something's going to grow, if something's going to happen, it will be God. It will be the God who makes it grow. And that takes us to our final point then. Pro, uh, point number one, the problem they need to face. They're spiritual babies. There's jealousy and strife, it reveals it plain as rain. They're still speaking in God's church in the first person, singular, I, me, mine, and not the mature way in the third person, singular, he, his, him. Number two, the people that they needed to demote. Well, God is the significant one. God is all that matters. Keep your eyes off everyone else except God. All eyes on God. All eyes on Christ. And finally, the purpose they needed to accept. And it's, it's quite simple. Verse 5, God appoints the task. Verse 6, God gives the growth. Verse 7, God's servant is not the issue. Verse 8, God gives the reward. So the person who plants and the person who waters have one purpose. Do you see that there in verse 8? So there's not the plethora of purposes in the kingdom of God. One purpose, unity of purpose. Unity then in the church. Unity on the board. Unity in the ministry teams. Unity, unity, unity. Why? Why, why, why? One purpose. And what is that one purpose? Well, ultimately, is the exaltation of God and the salvation of men and women as the body of Jesus Christ is built up in every way. Growth for God's glory in every way. That's the purpose. That's the purpose so that we can come to that great day. Revelation 7, so that before the throne of God, there's a great multitude of people that no one can count from everywhere in the world. That is the purpose. And that is that demands 
the very thing that the Corinthian Christians were, were, who were labeled immature were struggling with. The removal of self-centeredness. The removal of me first. The removal of let's go to battle over my rights. For what is at the core of worldliness? Jealousy and strife. It's when the person leads, leads with the self first in everything. And that was Adam and Eve. And that was Satan. And you'll notice, and this is awfully encouraging, that each will be rewarded, verse 8b, not for our success, not for our results, but for what? Verse 8, but according to his own labor. See, we will not be rewarded by way of results because that is God's work. That is only God's work. So we won't be rewarded by way of results. We will not be rewarded in comparison to other people. That's, this is not like the sales team, right? So Mrs. X, she's dominating the chart. She's always number one, and, and the rest of us are dragging behind her. That is the kingdom of man, and we understand that. That is not the kingdom of God. We will be rewarded, Paul says, verse 8, for our labor. Labor is kopos in the Greek. It means laborious toil, which involves weariness and fatigue for Jesus. A long time ago, people used to sing this song. I'm sure they sing it somewhere. If I walk in the pathway of duty, if I work till the close of the day, I shall see the great king in his beauty when I've gone the last mile of the way. When I've gone the last mile of the way, I will rest at the close of the day. And I know that there are joys that await me when I've gone the last mile of the way. And then this is the last verse. And if here I have earnestly striven, and have tried all his will to obey, to enhance all the rapture of heaven when I've gone the last mile of the way. Isn't that beautiful? And, it, and isn't it hard to work hard for Jesus in our Disneyland world? And, and isn't it hard to wait until heaven to receive all the rewards? And after all, the only people who wanted all the rewards now and were given those rewards were the Pharisees. Jesus said, you already have your reward. And what a letdown. What a huge letdown. On the best day, if you would, Christmas morning in heaven, they get nothing. They get nothing. Why? Well, they were the babies and they wanted it all now. And God gave it to them. Let me close with this. In my mind's eye, I think of a young man I knew when we were serving in Texas in a church. Every Friday night, He'd sweep the floors, clean the restrooms, and wipe down the pews. That was his ministry. Question, have you ever heard of him? Have you ever read about him in Christian magazines and Christian uh, articles and periodicals? Have you ever heard of him on Christian radio? Probably not. But in heaven, where it all matters, he will be rewarded according to his diligent labor for his Friday night by Friday night, sweeping the floors, cleaning the restrooms, and wiping down pews for Jesus. And loved ones, that militates against our culture, but it makes absolute sense in the kingdom of God. And where the sickness of our age is is to make a name for ourselves or create some kind of existence where the self is first. The Bible comes to us and says, not so, not so, not so. That is death for the unconverted. That is immaturity for the converted and therefore trouble for the body of Jesus Christ. So we would please ask this morning that you would heed these words carefully, being mindful that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And may God give that grace to those of us who need it this morning, beginning with myself. Let's bow together and let's pray.
Well, Father, we give glory to your name this morning. Thank you for these words. Thank you, God, that you do not reward us based on our results because results are up to you, but that you do reward us based on our hard work. And we ask that you give all of us here the grace to be mature Christians, to be in Christ, to be happy in our labor, joyful in our service as one for the one who came and suffered and died for our sins. The Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.